Welcome back to the latest. I'm Alex Hardy. Nick Ferguson here with me. Former NFL uh, safety. Uh, so much more that he does in the NFL media community out in Denver as well. Nick, what's happening? What's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. Um, I would say something about your Boston hat, uh, but I'll just leave it there for, for uh, time's sake. Well, watch me turn to the side. It says World Champions right there, Nick. <laughs> It's been a while, but uh, this is always a constant reminder of what happened in that 2004 ALCS. You know, we ought to talk. We ought to talk round ball once. Uh, once we kind of get the Super Bowl out of the way, I know yeah. uh, you've got a trip to Vegas coming up. But let's let's finish the conversation that we began uh, launching this podcast in the first place. We were talking about head coach openings, and officially, we have 32 head coaches the latest Dan Quinn being hired by the Commanders, and we'll get into that conversation, so to speak. But we paid our 50 cents, or maybe two or three bucks because of inflation now. (laughs) We rode that head coaching carousel, and we're officially getting off with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight new head coach openings. Now you had my New England Patriots uh, hiring in-house with Gerard Mayo, the Raiders doing the same, removing that interim tag off of Antonio Pierce. So you take those job you take those two jobs out of there. You have six new openings essentially where the Carolina Panthers hire Dave Canales, the Chargers make the big splash with Jim Harbaugh, the Atlanta Falcons bring back Raheem Morris after he was an interim coach there years ago. Uh, I mentioned Dan Quinn to the Commanders, the Titans hiring Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. Note that he's the first guy that I've had to attribute where he came from because that was a name that not a lot of people had on their radar. The Seahawks hiring Mike McDonald from the Baltimore Ravens. And just looking at those positions, those openings, Nick, did you have any thoughts on maybe the best fit for a coach or maybe it was just the best opportunity, like, despite who goes there, or maybe now that you know who's there, the team you're kind of monitoring from afar this offseason to see maybe to pay off on some potential that's coming their way. I'm going to say Mike McDonald, uh, the coach from Baltimore Ravens, who had that defense playing out of their mind. Just think about what he's going into. He's going into a Seattle Seahawks team that already has a built-in culture from all those years with Pete Carroll, and they don't have any quarterback issues because they got that solved with Geno Smith. Could they go out and draft a guy to be his heir apparent? Yeah, I expect for them to do that. But think about that defense. When you look at what they're trying to get back to as far as the Legion of Boom 2.0, they got two good corners uh, outside. They have a good group of guys from a core standpoint. On the defensive side of the ball, and you have a guy who is uh, – shown that he is an excellent mind defensively, he walks into that building day one, even without a game being played, Alex. And you have to think about the Seattle Seahawks being in the playoffs just on that alone. Obviously, they're going to do some things this offseason to make that team better. But for the most part, that is the one coach of all the coaches who are walking into a situation where they say, you know what, we're pretty good right now, but we have the ability to get much better. No, and you just look at how well, and again, players have to play. John Harbaugh is the head coach. But the point that I always look at is with how well that Mike McDonald's defense has performed against those Kyle Shanahan offenses, you know, beating Bobby Slowick and the Texans twice, 
uh, beating the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the regular season. Uh, took overtime to do it, but beating the LA Rams with Sean McVay, it's a perfect fit in that NFC West, knowing that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay are on the opposite sideline for four of your 17 regular season games. I'll just spend a moment on Dave Canales. Um, the Panthers situation is one that, oh, well, I'm not sure because ownership has this tendency to meddle and they've moved on from multiple head coaches and multiple interims. But I'm kind of interested to see the staff that Canales is building out and they're adding a bunch of their position coaches. But the most important thing, I think, is their search for continuity and having everyone on the same page. Removing some of those coaches that were hired by Matt Rule that lived on through Frank Reich's era, albeit short, they were the ones that were voicing opinions and getting David Tepper involved. And I'm talking about the special teams coordinator, then interim coach Chris Tabor, and the former offensive line coach James Campen. Both of those guys were kind of mouthpieces for Tepper. It was a little obvious that they were given the promotions with Frank Reich headed out and sort of cleaning house and kind of starting from scratch, allowing a first-time head coach to build out his staff, bring guys with him that he coached with in Seattle under Pete Carroll, and certainly most recently in Tampa, is something that clearly is showing a new leaf for how David Tepper is allowing the coach to build his coaching staff. So I think it's a minor but a positive step worth mentioning that obviously uh, is going to keep NFL fans dry not having owners throwing cocktails on them for the upcoming season. <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, of all the things to bring up, and we can talk about Jim Harbaugh, and we can talk about the great opportunity that Raheem Morris is stepping in, but it's just, it seems stable and, and totally normal what the Panthers have done so far, and I have to give them credit. We'll have to save this for another time, but just the reporting coming from The Athletic, Diana's Rossini on your former New York Jets, Robert Sala attempting to confiscate phones, trying to figure out where the leaks are coming from at one Jets place, that's the kind of stuff that used to happen in Carolina, but not anymore in Panthers country. So I'm thrilled. Now, we have 32 jobs filled. Mm -hmm. Two coaches that aren't going anywhere, kind of surprisingly, shockingly, a guy we both advocated for and one of the hottest coaching names two years running. The Lions, under Dan Quinn, are keeping the offensive and defensive coordinators. Aaron Glenn staying and Ben Johnson staying. Uh, which of those two do you want to start with? Because we've got to talk about both of them before we get to that NFC Championship game. Well, let's talk about uh, Aaron Glenn. And it, it was great for Aaron Glenn to get the opportunity to interview again because here's what it does for not just coaches, but minority coaches. Keeping in mind that a lot of minority coaches don't get the opportunity to interview for jobs, but it puts you in front of different owners where they can really see what you, who and what you are. And to be totally honest, uh, Alex, when they have these meetings, there's less X's and O's that are taking place. It's these owners trying to get to know these minority head coaches. So it is right. great for Aaron to get this experience interviewing. Again, he interviewed with the Broncos a couple of years ago. But, you know, it tells you where Dan Campbell and that Lions organization has grown to. I mean, you go from being 
uh, one of those teams that everyone laughed about to being one of those teams everyone was talking about, talking about Dan Campbell. And not just the fact of what he didn't do and what he should have done on fourth down, but interviewing both your offense and defensive coordinator, that speaks volumes to where they've grown as an organization. So I'm sure, I mean, Aaron's going to go back. They're going to do a great job again. Will they be in the situation they were in this year? Probably not, but that still will give other teams an opportunity to interview Aaron Glenn because we know every year there's always five to six job openings. And, again, a very talented roster that's hopefully going to run it back. Dan Campbell made the point that some guys aren't going to be here. This could have been their only shot, and we'll get to that. But Aaron Glenn as a coaching commodity. But Ben Johnson, it seems two years in a row, reportedly offered the Carolina Panthers job a year ago, which, again, at the time, it seemed as if he wasn't allowed to be naming his uh, coordinators as far as we understand how Frank Wright came in that position. And now this year, the reporting was sort of leaked out where he was getting a, a second round of interviews, I'm sorry, a third with the commanders specifically, commanders brass with new ownership, Josh Harris. I don't know if Magic was getting on the plane, but certainly Rick Spielman and maybe Bob Myers in between nationally televised basketball games. <laughs> but they were told, allegedly, that... Ben Johnson did not want to be considered for the position anymore as they were en route to Detroit. Now, they still sat down with Aaron Glenn, um, but they then hire Dan Quinn, his second head coaching opportunity. Uh, and look, he interviewed with Seattle, where they're fond of him, know him well, went with Mike McDonald instead. I'm going to believe that's because of the, the merit that Mike McDonald has created. Now... Ben Johnson taking himself out of consideration and reports flying out, you know, uh, this is just the modern media with talking points coming directly from agents or teams themselves. Um, Adam Schefter reporting that, uh, that Ben Johnson's asking price spooked some teams this time around. I, I, I guess, does a coordinator, is it sort of, hmm, is it weird that a coordinator doesn't want to be considered to be a head coach two years in a row? And if he's back out there a year from now, is there a single owner that won't be making their first question, why, why didn't you want to be a head coach sooner? Well, that question is always going to be asked, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. But you have to figure that Ben Johnson feels as though he has an incomplete cycle there in Detroit looking at how far they were able to uh, get to. And he's thinking, look, if we, if we keep our core guys offensively and defensively intact, maybe we'll make another run. I'll have another opportunity. I already had two thus far. That's two more than some coaches ever get. I don't care if right. you are a minority coach or, or not. But maybe that's his frame of mind. But another thing that changes things for coaches, and more importantly for anyone, is dollars and cents. And when Detroit Lions figure this though, hey, well, he, Ben Johnson is a coveted uh, coach, and everyone's looking at him to be the, the next hot thing. That's what that does. That builds that desperation that we don't want to lose him. We don't want to lose him. You know, Alex, so what are you going to do? See, that's where money talks, and you know what walks the marathon. So the Detroit Lions say, listen, we know what we've been able to do with you here as an offensive coordinator. 
we would hate to see you leave, but we know you have to do what's in the best interest of your family. Oh, right. by the way, before you make a decision, why don't we go ahead and look at extending and expanding your contract? And that'll change a lot for a lot of coaches. Yeah, it could just be a negotiating tactic. I think it's legitimate to ask, are you just trying to get a raise from the Detroit Lions? But it's is this just a testament to the culture that Dan Quinn has built? Is Ben Johnson simply a knee biter? Like is is this just with how they with how things came up short in the NFC championship, and we'll 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 get into that right now. With how things kind of shook out in the NFC championship is the unfinished business more important than we, there's no guarantees we're, we're going to get back to this spot. Now, Dan Campbell, uh, the first person you'd think of as yep. someone defending nerds and analytics, is it just as simple as, you know, the numbers were slightly in favor of going forward on fourth and two, going forward on fourth and three, when you had a two possession lead or when you're attempting to, uh, tie the game. I, I, I'm not trying to ask you, Nick, you know, what the numbers say. I just, is it more than just the numbers thing? Is this a Dan Quinn type of football program? And is it acceptable to do it in every single game and every single opportunity um, with higher stakes in the playoffs? Well, I mean, for me, taking more gambles and risk through analytics is great during the regular season because you have some more games that uh, you can actually win or you can lose. Once you get into that tournament and it's win or go home, you have to be careful about what specific analytics that you listen to. Uh, because sometimes, I mean, they say men lie, women lie, and numbers don't lie. But we've seen sometimes numbers can lie, especially if you make that the basis of a lot of your coaching decisions. And we've seen that a lot. It should be about your gut feeling as a coach. And the question is, where did that go? Why was that pushed aside for analytics? And I, and I get it. If you, might, if you might be an MIT grad, you may be one of those uh, geniuses with numbers. But to me, at the end of the day, it's about football. It's about what you're able to do on the field. Well, so, well that's kind of that's, that's my point, though. It, it, like, it, this is, maybe this is just Dan Campbell. Maybe his form of football is being aggressive and trusting one of the best offenses. Again, why is Ben Johnson coveted as a head coach candidate? Because they have one of the best offenses, and they believe that with their guys on the field, they can beat your guys. That's football. That's not focusing on numbers. I'm wondering if it's if it's a Dan Campbell thing as much as it is, you know, a, a 0.2% in favor of going for it on this down in situation, and you have to do that. Like, this could just be who Dan Campbell is. Like, this is, you know, this is three espressos in the morning. This is biting off kneecaps football for him, apparently. Well, listen, is that, if, is that possible? That, listen, if that works for you, hey, fine. And, and be totally honest, for Dan Campbell, it's worked for him. This is how the Lions turned things around in three years under Dan Campbell to get to this point. So yep. to criticize him for making this decision, hey, listen, man, it's what got you there. And, and they always say, dance with the one that you brought. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'll say this, in some of those situations in the San Francisco 49ers game, it wasn't that you know, Dan, Dan Campbell made a bad decision. It was the play calling and execution that ended up being the dagger for the Detroit Lions. So, hey, man, do you at the end of the day, but so, for some other coaches, they rely on that old-school gut feeling. Well, if the numbers favor the gut, then I guess you just have two birds in the hand and 
are sitting home and watching the Super Bowl if you're a Detroit Lion. <laughs> so I guess this brings us to our point of um, a meeting of the minds. This is Nick before we split. And I know you haven't played in a Super Bowl in your 10 NFL seasons. Uh, I know my New England Patriots denied you of that at least a couple of times. But it's not about them. It's about you, Nick. So I'd like to know, as we approach another Super Bowl that you're going to participate in from a media perspective, uh, any me- your, your fondest memories as a fan, as a player, and as a member of the media in the Super Bowl. Three Super Bowl memories, uh, boom, 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 hit us all quickly with uh, some things you look back on as a fan, as a player, and as a member of the media when it comes to the big game itself. Uh, well, I have to go back to uh, Super Bowl 50, Denver Broncos, uh, the last game for the Sheriff Peyton Manning, and just looking at uh, the defense and how they just turned up the volume. Because for me, I never subscribed to the idea that a team wins a Super Bowl by themselves, and that quarterback is the one that uh, moves everything forward. It was in that game that the defense did it. Von Miller, MVP of the Super Bowl, which, I mean, solidified the whole cliche that defense wins championships, and they proved it in right. Super Bowl 50. Now, I'll go back to last year, uh, I guess, Super Bowl for uh, a, a little looking at things from, I'll say, a coaching standpoint and a media standpoint. You had both Kansas City Chiefs facing off against Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. The one thing that was really disappointing was the defensive play of the secondary of the Eagles and how they never really talked themselves through certain routes that Kansas City was presenting to them. And had they done that and executed, now they emerged victorious in that game. And I still get frustrated going over that game with seeing any plays relative to that uh, for one. Uh, another fun Super Bowl memory, I'm going to go back to when Terrell Davis could not see and Mike Shanahan told him, listen, if you don't go back in the game, the, the Green Bay Packers are not going to think that you're going to get the ball. And mm-hmm. Terrell Davis is saying, man, I, I have migraines. I have migraines. I cannot see. And the coach said, man, get back out there. And Terrell Davis got back out there. And it was a bootleg play with John Elway. And John Elway got his first Super Bowl. So those are three Super Bowl memories for me that I take away. I, I, was, I was thrilled that you brought up uh, Super Bowl 50 because – I thought it would be one of your fondest memories because we spent so much time together there in San Francisco. But uh, <laughs> that's going to be for another time. And uh, we, we have plenty more to get to. Uh, we'll be giving you another pod next week ahead of the Super Bowl. Um, we want to talk about that game, the historic legacy that would come for either Patrick Mahomes or Brock Purdy. Uh, again, because quarterbacks are the only guys that win football games for their teams Nick has made that point clear. Ten years in the NFL League. You can follow him on all social, uh, at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. It, during the games, man, you're, you're cutting up and, and turning around game tape that would, is just so valuable if it, that that's something that you enjoy uh, from this game of football. So make sure you're following Nick. Uh, he's Nick Ferguson. I'm Alex Hardy. And until next time, what do you have to say to the people, Nick? Hey, drive safely and don't take any wooden nickels.